So good to uh, have you here with us on this first Sunday of December. Does anybody love Christmas besides me? And I love it. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I don't love it in October. I'm not one of those folks, so come on. Any of those people here, you've been loving Christmas for like three months already? Now I'm ready. It's December. Now I love it. No, I really do. I, I love the Christmas season. And, uh, you know, for us as a church, uh, we've had a, a direction that the Lord has kind of moved us in for a year. To be quite honest, I, I haven't done this in years past, but I felt strongly uh, right at the end of 2016, leading into this year, that God had a word for our church. And the word was better together. Uh, preached that on the first day of the year. If you remember, uh, January 1st was a Sunday of this year. And then in February, on Super Bowl Sunday, I don't know how many of you were here for Super Bowl Sunday, but we passed out bracelets uh, to everyone that was here, just like the one I'm, I'm wearing. And these bracelets say rightsvillechurch.com. It's got our church logo on it, and then it says hashtag better together. And we gave those out to everybody just as a, a rally point, kind of a way for us to say, hey, same team. You know, we're all in this together. And I want to let you know, I, I've worn this bracelet just about every day since then. And some of you are thinking, you probably need to wash your wrist. But no, <laughs> I mean, it comes off. But, but I've worn it almost every day. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you why. It's been a reminder to me all through this year of a word that God spoke to, to my heart that I released to this church on that first Sunday of 2017 and the word was this that God is doing a work in my heart for this house and God is doing a work in this house for my heart now, now I can say that personally but I don't mean that as a statement from a pastor uh, to to parishioners I mean that as a as a member as a part of the family of God we can say it like this God is doing a work in your heart for this house and God is doing a work in this house for your heart. I, I believe that. And many of you, you could testify if we took the time today and you could say that, you know what, God did something in my heart this year and, and it's having an impact on the house. Some of you, maybe you've never served in a ministry before this year. But as Pastor Chris and I were talking, we, we could go through a, a list of people that have gotten engaged in, in ministry. And I want to promise you, if that's you, if you're serving in the church in any capacity, whether it's uh, serving as a greeter or setting up Christmas lights or working in the nursery, I want to tell you, the work that God did in your heart to prompt you to serve is absolutely having an impact on this house. Amen. I'll just echo what he said earlier. We can't do the things that God's called us to do. We can't be the church that God's called us to be outside of the, the simple obedience of God's people to allow God to use them in ways that are great and small. We've seen that over and over again. God stirred your hearts and it's impacted this house. And at the same time, God's done some things corporately in the house this year that has an impact on your heart. Many of you, because we launched our life groups this year, with our Better Together series back in the beginning of the year. And then this fall, we, we had our This Is Us series. And, and because of what God was doing in this house, He did a work in your heart. Some of you stepped into a, a deeper level of discipleship and accountability because those things only happen in the context of 
relationship. And since we created a, a vehicle for that to happen in our life groups, you stepped in and, and God stepped in and met you in the moment. And I'm telling you, God is working in our lives. How many of you believe we're still better together? How many of you think Christmas is better together? All right. Today we're starting a series called Home for Christmas. And I genuinely do believe that Christmas is better together. Something else that this bracelet that I have reminds me, and it's reminded me all year of, is this. It's that I have to become what I want the church to become. I, I, I can't sit back and say, you know, I wish people prayed more. I wish this, or, or I wish that. I have to be what I want, want the church to become. And, and it's the same for you. You know, it's funny. I... Well, it's not funny, actually, but it's reality that I've talked to people over the years that, that have left their church, uh, and, and they've left not because they were moving or, or practical reasons. They left because they, they were upset about something. Now, not every church is for everybody. I mean, I, I, I have to come to that reality. Not everybody wants me to be their pastor. I get it. It's probably you that don't like more than me, but I get it. <laughs> Come on, lighten up, lighten up. I'm just playing with you. <laughs> I understand. You know, we're not everybody's cup of tea. But what blows my mind is, is when I have people that over the years, you know, will come and they'll say, well, you know, I, I just wish, I just wish, you know, that our church worshiped more passionately, more enthusiastically. Or they might say, you know, I, I wish that, that people met in, in small groups. You know, I, I just wish, you know, more people served. But what blows my mind sometimes in those conversations, I'm looking at the person and what I'm thinking is, but you don't worship very passionately. Like, you don't serve. You're not involved in a small group. And how many of you know, that's just not, that's not fair to say, I wish you would, but I'm not. How many of you understand what I mean when I say I must become what I want the church to become? Amen. I'm a part of this thing. You're a part of this thing. And God's doing something beautiful and incredible through the church. And so what that does for me, and, and I've done this many times, it causes me, it challenges me to ask myself some questions. Like one of the questions that I ask myself is this. If everybody worshipped as passionately as you do, would we be a worshiping church. I ask myself questions like, if everybody prayed with the same fervency that you pray with, would we be a praying church? If everybody gave to the same level of generosity that you give to, would we be a generous church? Would we be a missions-giving church? Would we be an outreach church? I ask myself these kinds of questions. I, I ask sometimes, okay, if everybody read their Bible the way I read my Bible this year, would we be a Bible-based church? Would we have a grasp on the Word of God? Now, those are tough questions to ask if you're going to be honest with yourself. But they challenge me to remember something. They challenge me to remember that I'm investing in something that's bigger than me. I'm investing in something that's bigger than you. It's bigger than all of us. In fact, we're a part of something that is bigger than our lifetime. God is doing something through 
the church. That's what we're building together. And I don't mean brick and mortar. I'm not talking about building 365 Orange Street. How many of you know the church is people? It's people. We're building one another. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. It tells us what the church is. Listen to this description. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's, that's who we are. In the spirit sense, we're the brick and mortar. We're the stones being put together to build a spiritual house for God. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 12 calls us the body of Christ. In Revelation, we see a beautiful picture at the culmination of the age where the church is presented as a bride to Christ. And one day, the, the groom is going to receive his bride and we'll be with the Lord forever. Can I tell you, the church is eternal. What else are you investing in right now that is eternal? I'm telling you, there is nothing better that you can invest yourself in than the church. The church is the hope of the world. Jesus turned over the mission to that small band of disciples. The church is the hope of the world. Jesus gave all power and authority to the church. And one day he is coming back for his church. And the Bible says that when that happens and the, and the church is taken away, I'm going to promise you the light of the gospel is going to be snuffed out. The light of the gospel is going to be snuffed out and people are going to be amazed to see how much the grace of God was in this world because of the presence of the church. The goodness of God in your life has a, a reciprocal effect on this whole community, on those that know you on those that you work with, on the, the business that you work for. The goodness of God is on the people of God. I'm going to tell you, the church is a beautiful thing. It's multi-generational. It's multi-ethnic. It's multilingual. The church is a beautiful tapestry of the diversity of God's creation. The church, Jesus said, is going to last. He guaranteed it. He said, I'll, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. I just want, does anybody besides me love the church this morning? I, I, I love the church. I want to be a part of the church because the church, hear me, is God's forever family. It's his family. It means we're going to be with each other for a long, long time. So if you didn't say yes when I said, does anybody love the church? Let me just encourage you. You're stuck with us. I mean, you can go down the road to another church if you like. But guess what? We'll see you in heaven. All right? You're going to be with us for a long, long time. This is God's eternal family. And that idea of belonging, a longing to belong in a family is something that every one of us can relate to and as we, as we start this series today home for the home for Christmas I almost said home for the holidays I almost started singing 
I don't want anybody getting mad at me because I don't say Christmas. I'm home for Christmas. As we start this series, I, I, I want to tell you, I want to be home for Christmas because home is where my family is. I mean, I, I love visiting other people. I love going places. Even on vacation. We were on vacation uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's, I mean, we had a great time. I loved it. But how many of you are like this? By like the second to the last day, by the last day, I was ready to get home. Like, I just... I mean, nothing, nothing, you know, against anyone. I love being there. All my family lives in Georgia. I don't get to see them that often. But man, I just love to be home. I want to be home. In fact, I, I celebrated a birthday, my 16th birthday, actually, uh, without, without my family. My parents uh, scheduled a church missions trip over my 16th birthday. Now, every once in a while, I take the opportunity in moments like this to remind them that they did that. Hope you're watching. No. <laughs> Honestly, though, you know what? I didn't like it. Now, they came back and they threw me a big party and it was fine, but something just felt wrong about not being with my family on my birthday. But you know what? I think it was my 25th birthday. I did the same thing to myself. I had an invitation to, to go to Jamaica and preach a crusade. Uh, over, over my birthday and, and so I took the invitation So it wasn't like one of those church missions trips Where we're all there together And No, I just flew there by myself And, and I, I was by myself Without my family on my birthday And here's what I know about me I've learned from experience You don't have to throw me a surprise party You don't have to throw me a planned party You don't even have to get me a bunch of gifts But I want to be with my family on my birthday now, how many of you feel that way about Christmas? You, you want to be with your family. I mean, I can't imagine not being with my loved ones at Christmas time. And, and that's why, you know, that, that song that popped in my head earlier, that's why we all love songs like that. There's no place like home for the holidays. Or songs like, I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Why? Because we understand what it means to long to be with family. Diane's here this morning and um, her husband, Bob, we prayed for earlier. He's in a rehabilitation center in Reims, has a, a, a fracture in his disc in his back. And I went and visited him this week. And boy, he was just, I, I think his words to me were like, I never imagined I'd be here. He just wanted to go home so bad. Like just, he does not want to be there. And I felt for him and, and I just tried to encourage him and pray with him. But something that Diane said to me, really just stuck out to me as we talked on the phone. Uh, she's been trying to encourage him, and she said, I just keep telling him, Bob, you'll be home for Christmas. That's the prayer right now, right? And you can agree with that prayer. But boy, isn't there so much hope in just saying that? You'll be home for Christmas. There's a longing to belong with family. And all of us know it. I want to tell you, you can be at home this Christmas in the family of God. You can feel at home. Because that's the invitation that is all of ours today. In fact, let me read it to you out of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. How did He lavish His love on us? That we should be called the sons and the daughters. 
of God, that we should be called the children of God. And it says, and that is what we are. Can I just decree to you today? You have a family in God. You have a family. And and let me remind you, that's a privilege. Because when I said that, some of you were like, wow, that's revelation. Never heard that before. We know. And honestly, the reason we feel that way sometimes is because we've all heard the, the, the cliche statements and the platitudes that people give. Oh, we're all God's children. Heard people say that before. We're all God's children. Can I tell you that's not true? Now, now I don't mean in a creation sense. Not like some of you came from aliens or some of you, you know, you, you know, you, maybe, you know, you formed from a little embryo type thing into a monkey and then you know no 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 don't get me wrong in a creation sense yes God made all of us but can I tell you to be called the children of God is a special privilege and I'll show it to you in the word of God it's a special privilege to be called the sons and the daughters of God what we do have in common is we're all Adam's race we're all the human race we're all prone to sin That's all of us. But to be called the children of God is a unique blessing. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 2, 11 about that. It says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Can I tell you, that's what God did when he saved you? I'm not talking about people that live in sinless perfection. I mean... Nobody's got halos and wings yet, you know. I'm talking about when you got saved, when you gave your life to Jesus, the Bible says that God imputed righteousness on your account. He sees you sinless. He sees you holy. And the ones who have been made holy and the ones who are holy, this verse says, are of the same family. Let me read the rest of the verse. It says, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters think about that for a minute i mean yes jesus is our savior he's our lord that's awesome we worship him but did you know he calls you his brother did you know he calls you sister listen jesus fully understands and is aware of the privileges that you have to be called the sons and the daughters of god god doesn't love you like a son no he loves you like his own son he loves you to the same degree that he loves jesus let that just sink in your spirit for a minute god gives you he gives me every opportunity every privilege every resource to our disposal that he would give to his own son jesus i'm going to show you it says in romans chapter 8 verse 11 and if the spirit of whom of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you that means you're saved if that spirit's living in you he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you that's incredible because you're in the family The same spirit that Jesus was led by as he healed blind eyes, as he raised up the crippled man, as he conquered death 
That same Holy Spirit lives inside of you and He lives inside of me. That's what this verse tells us. He lives in us. The Bible says, Jesus said it like this. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus said this. He said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I'm doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Now, we looked at this verse in our prayer gathering on Wednesday night. As we meet every Wednesday night for prayer at 7 o'clock. We looked at this verse. What Jesus is saying is the works that I did, as great as they were, as amazing as they were, those that are my brothers and sisters, those that are in the family of God, have the potential of doing greater works. Now, maybe not in quality, but certainly in quantity. I mean, Jesus spent his whole life never really traveling more than 200 miles. And the message that I'm preaching right now has the potential of literally going around the world just because of technology. There are things that God, through his spirit, has enabled you and I to do. And Jesus said, you'll do it because I'm going to the Father. What he meant by that was, when I'm here in the flesh, I can only be at one place at one time. He was restricted in a human capacity to being a Jewish man living in the Middle East. But he said, it's good that I go away because when I go away, I'm going to send my spirit. The spirit that lives in me, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to be with you. And that's why Jesus could say as he was ascending back up to heaven after his resurrection, he said, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of of the earth never will I leave you or forsake you how could he say it because his spirit is going to live in us and his spirit is going to empower us with every possibility with every bit of potential that we see in Jesus I want to tell you today God's given you everything you need to experience his abundant life his resources are available for his family. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people are okay with the idea of God as father. I never struggled to, to grab that concept. Thankfully, I had a great dad, still do. And, and so God is the father, that made sense. Now, some, some people have had to overcome a lot of hurt and a lot of history to be able to embrace the goodness of God as a father in their life. But I think there's a lot of other people, they go, yeah, God's the Father. We get it. I mean, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yeah, He's the Father. The problem is in their understanding of what kind of a Father He is. I'm going to tell you, there's some people, they have this mentality that, that, that God is, well, let me just be real with you. Put it in our vernacular. Some people just think that, that God is like a heavenly baby daddy. You know what I mean? Like He's involved at the beginning. And he gets your life going, but then he just checks out. Like, he, he, doesn't really, he doesn't really check up on you. He doesn't really care about what happens in your life. He's uninvolved. He just kind of started it, and so God is the creator, and he had a part to play, but he's not really interested in my life. He doesn't really show up or care about my needs going on in my life. There's a lot of people that feel that way about God, but can I tell you, that's not the kind of father that he is. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, more about the heart of God. It says in verse 5, in love he predestined 
us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. You know what that means? That means that he planned in advance a legal transaction to bring us into his family. He predestined us for adoption. And the reason that he did it, that verse says, is because it pleased him. It was God's plan for God's pleasure from the beginning to have you in his family, to have me in his family. That's how invested he is. That's how much he loves us and, and he desires us. You know, some people, they have this idea that, that God is, he's a father, but he's, he's a father like Jacob was in the Old Testament. You remember Jacob, he was, he was the grandson of Abraham. Now, Abraham is called the father of our faith. And that the blessing would come through his lineage. And so his grandson's name was Jacob. But God changed his name to Israel. And Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. So before there were 12 tribes, there were 12 sons. Before there was the nation of Israel, there was the man, Israel. Who was actually Jacob. There's a lot of people that look at the heart of God and they see him as a father like Jacob was. And his story about fatherhood is told in Genesis chapter 37. I just want to read two verses to you that kind of, it's the biography of, of fatherhood according to Jacob. It says this in verse 3 and 4 of Genesis 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had borne him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And they could not speak a kind word to him. See, there's a lot of people that they're, they're angry with. They're angry at, at God or they're angry at the church. And, and the reason they are is because they know enough to know that, that God uh, is, is good and that he's a father, but they, they also know their name's not Joseph. And, and they feel like, I'm not the favorite. I've never been God's favorite. I mean, he's got his favorite sons. He's got his favorite daughters, but that's not me. Maybe you felt like that way before. You felt like, you know what, I try. I try to measure up. I try to do good. But it just seems like I, I'm, not, I'm not in that inner circle. I'm not one of God's favorite sons. Seems like he always overlooks me. He gives the beautiful coat of many colors to somebody else, but, but never, never for me. You know, I, I've seen people, you have too, that they would say, I, I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. I don't really have time for church. And I want to tell you, the church is not the problem. We're not, we're not perfect, nor should we ever claim to be. And there's no doubt that people have been hurt in churches from time to time. But I'm going to tell you, what happens is people get this perception about God and the kind of father that he is. That, that yo, goody two-shoes over there, got his fancy coat of many colors. That's the good son. That's the favorite son. They think they got the inroad with, with God. But I, I'm just out here trying to make it. I'm just out here trying to, to be accepted to be loved, and the response of people that feel like they don't measure up to God, their response is just like Joseph's brothers. 
I want to read verse 4 again. Listen to this response. It says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. Let me tell you, there's people that would profess to love Christ, that would call God their father. They hate the church. And the reason they do is because they misunderstand the father. I want to tell you today, God is not a father like Jacob. God doesn't have favorites. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 2, 11, God does not show favoritism. He doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't have favorite sons or, or favorite daughters. I want to tell you, if you are a child of God, you're his favorite as much as anybody else. He loves you as much as he loves his own son. He gave you the same spirit he gave his son. Jesus calls you a brother. Jesus calls you a sister. And you can feel at home in the family of God. I don't know about you, but that, that's what I want. When I'm, when I'm with God's people, I want to be at home. Tell you what else I really want. I want, I want a place to belong. I think everybody does. There's something that, that resonates deep inside of every one of us that we just want a place where we belong. You know, I, I enjoy visiting other people's houses. I enjoy, you know, going to the Christmas parties and seeing other people. But inevitably, even if it's the best of friends, there's a point where the thought goes through my mind. You know, I start wondering, is it time to head home? Right, like that that thought crosses your mind at least you hope you know if you're the host it crosses their mind <laughs> you ever had some of those folks that, that that thought never crosses their mind they never think maybe I should leave you know maybe I maybe I shouldn't stay this long you know it's like hey make yourself at home but when you say that you mean for a little while like don't don't make yourself at home that much but I don't ever feel that way when I'm at home when I'm in my house, I never have this thought like, I, I wonder if I'm overstayed my welcome. I, should, I, should I get up? Am I bothering anyone here? Should I leave now? I don't ever feel that way. I'm going to tell you, if you are a child of God, you don't have to feel uncomfortable in your relationship with God. You don't have to feel like you don't belong or you don't ever have to feel like you've overstayed your welcome or that you're out of place. I, I feel for people like this, but I, I know it's a reality. There are some folks that they love God, they're serving Jesus to the best of their ability, but every time they go to just meet God in their personal devotional time, instead of just enjoying His presence, they get consumed with, I wonder if I'm doing this right. I wonder how they do this. I wonder if I should like read two chapters and then stop and journal, or should I just pray, or should I use one of those one-year Bible plans? They get all worked up about, am I doing this right? Some people are the same in worship. They come into church, and instead of just engaging the heart of God and loving the family of God, their head's on a swivel. They want to see if they're doing it the right way. And can I just tell you, you're home. You belong. Just, just be who God made you. Ask yourself this question. When I, when I read my Bible, when I pray, when I worship God, do I get closer to Jesus? Because if you do, guess what? You're doing it right. That's the point. He wants to draw you close to him. Yeah, I was driving down to Lancaster this week and, and uh, I saw a street crew worker on the side of the road and he had the, the grate off the, the drain and he was climbing down into the street. 
And he, it was cold. It was like Wednesday morning, I think. And, and I just looked at that guy. I thought, thank you, Jesus, that that's not my job. <laughs> like, I was on my way to visit somebody at the hospital. But I just thought, Lord, I'm so glad that I get to just go and pray for people and love people. And, and today, my job is to just go and, and love on somebody and not crawl in a hole in the cold, wet. And Oh, man. But then, you know what? The, the light turned red. And, and as it would happen, I came to a stop right next to him. And he's halfway in the hole and halfway out. And I'm looking at this guy. And he is just singing at the top of his lungs. He's having a great morning. And he's just loving it. And I just thought, well, man, that is awesome. I mean... You know, I thought to myself, just do you, you know, just do what you do. And because because I would hate that job. But man, he's making the best of it. You know, he's making money. He's providing for his needs. And he's out there just singing and having a great old time. And I know there's people that would say, I'll do, I'll, man, I'll dig a hole in the Sahara before I'll get up on a platform and speak to a group of people the way that you are. I do not want your job. There's some, I mean, I, I did two funerals this week, and there are people who go, man, you know, how, how do you do that? It's what I'm called to do. And there's things that you're called to do. And so I would say, do, do what you do. Be you. And when you go into God's presence, know that the God that saved you and loved you and sent his son to die for you, he gave you that personality. He gave you that gift mix. He gave you that temperament. God loves you just the way you are. You've got a place that you belong in his family. I'm going to tell you today, the only reason that you should ever feel uncomfortable in God's presence is if you have unconfessed sin in your life. The Holy Spirit loves you too much to let you be comfortable with that that is going to separate you from him. And so one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to bring Conviction. I, I like the way Max Lucado said it years ago. He said, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and unrighteousness. And, and if you've got sin in your life that is not dealt with, you might be a little bit uncomfortable standing in the house of God. You might feel a little bit of conviction as you read your Bible or as you talk to God. That's a good thing. Because the Holy Spirit is working on you to make you more like Christ. But I want to tell you, if you feel like you don't belong in God's house, you feel like you're a guest here, and you've overstayed your welcome, then I, I want to tell you at the conclusion of this message how to become a child of God. How to know that you're family. How to know that you belong. And I want to share a scripture with you that just so clearly communicates this truth. Some of you have heard this many times. I want to read it to you today. It's in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. This is the gospel. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be Saved, And then he goes on to say, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. You know what that verse tells me? It simply means this. It says, If you believe, then you belong. 
Not if you attend church regularly. Not if you read through the Bible in a year. Not if you uh, faithfully make contributions to the ministry. Not if you support a missionary. If you believe, then you belong. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then home is a place where you belong. Now, I, I wanted to emphasize that today. I was reminded this week of how important that is. You know, one of the funerals I did this week, probably 90% of the audience was senior adults. And as I was ministering to them, the Holy Spirit just kept impressing upon me this verse. And, and, and here's what I know. It doesn't matter if you're 9 or 90 it doesn't matter if you're hearing this for the first time or if you've heard it for a hundred times. Contrary to the misquote of Scripture, the truth doesn't set you free. That, that's what people say. They say, the truth will set you free. And, and while that, that statement is a direct quote from Jesus, it's only a partial quote. The truth doesn't set you free. If the truth set you free, then hey, it's in here. We should all be free, right? No. The truth doesn't come and find you and snatch you out of your life of sin and set you free. Here's what Jesus actually said. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. He said, to the Jews who had believed in him, there's the first prerequisite. He said, if you hold to the teachings, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Having the truth, hearing the truth, never set anyone free. It's, it's when we believe for ourselves the truth. It's when you personally take hold of the truth and walk in it. Then he said, you will be my disciples. You will know the truth personally, intimately for yourself. And that truth will then set you free. I want to encourage you today, if you've dealt with the sin issue in your life, but maybe you still feel like you don't belong, maybe still there's this voice in your head that says, this is not, I, I just don't fit in, I'm not, I'm not doing this right, I don't measure up, I want to tell you, if, if you don't have unconfessed sin, and everything is right between you and God as far as you can tell, but you still have that voice in your head, you need, you need to do something today. It's really spiritual. You need to tell that voice, shut up. Because that's not God. That voice is the voice of your adversary. That voice is the voice of the devil. Jesus said, when he speaks, he speaks in lies. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. And some of us, we just need to, it's, it's not that we don't have a right relationship with God. We just need to stop listening to the lies of the enemy. God is for you. He's not against you. He wants you to be a part of his family. He loves you. He's given you gifts. He's blessed you with his spirit. He's given you every opportunity that he gave to his own son, Jesus. And he cares about your life. The family of God is a family. It's a place to belong. So at the end of this message, what I wanna do is I, I, wanna, I wanna pray a prayer 
specifically for those of you that maybe you're here, maybe you're watching and, and you don't belong to the family of God. And the reason you don't feel like you belong is because you know, if you're honest with yourself, you know that there's sin in your life that's keeping you from the heart of God. Unconfessed sin, things that, that you need to deal with today. So I wanna pray a prayer right now of confession. And, and as you bow your head and I pray this prayer, if that's you and you say, man, I, I, need to, I need to deal with the sin in my life so I can come to God, I want you to just agree with me on this prayer. Pray it in your own heart right now. Bow your head with me. Father God, I just thank you that in this moment, the Holy Spirit is at work and you're pointing out issues in our lives. You're pointing out the things that that are barriers and blockades to us having a close personal relationship with you. God, I thank you that though it might be painful and uncomfortable, thank you that right now you've revealed those things to me. Now, God, I, I confess them as sin. I'm sorry, God. I, I, I recognize that the actions that I've taken, the thoughts that I've entertained and the words that I've spoken have grieved your holy heart and God I repent today I repent I, I turn away from that sin and I turn towards you now I know the temptation will be waiting for me again when I leave here but God I need your Holy Spirit to empower me the way you empowered Jesus to live a victorious life over temptation God I confess my sin I turn away from it and today God I I make you the Lord of my life. Take control. I yield myself to you. Take control. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, all over this room, I, I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to pray another prayer for you as we wrap this service up. And, and I just sensed this week that Maybe it's not every day, but for some of you, it's a battle. It's a battle of, of identity, of what kind of father God is. And maybe I described you earlier when I said you, you love God, you, you prayed the prayer of salvation. You, as far as you know, if you died today, you're going to heaven, but boy, you just, you don't feel at home. There's condemnation. There's accusation from your past. There's always this fear of not measuring up. It's, it's oppressive. I want to tell you today, the Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I just want to take authority in Jesus today over those voices that have been lying to you about your identity in Christ. Father, right now, all over this room, Lord, we know, God, according to your word, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms. There is a, a devil. He's real. And he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy our identity, our place in the family of God. But thank you, Jesus, that you came to give us life to the fullest. And Lord, I just speak right now against those voices of accusation and condemnation that would come against the people of God. 
Lord, may we hear your voice loud and clear today, declaring that you are the sons and the daughters of God. Father, today, give us a fresh vision and and bright eyes to see who we are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your spirit that dwells in us, that enables us to live a victorious, abundant life. Thank you, Lord God, that your word declares in Isaiah that you remember our sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, you've cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. And today, Lord, every one of us, regardless of our past, regardless of our history, we share common ground in that when we look back, all we see is the cross. You don't remember our sins. You don't remember our failures. You love us. You care for us. You call us the family of God. So, Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for that grace. Lord, we thank you for who you've called us to be. And we receive it. We receive sonship in Christ Jesus. Amen.